When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I just want to note that today is the first time that I've introduced myself with my legal name in three years because I'm terrified to share my name because the digital footprint I had no control over exists. I apologize. That's 24-year-old Cam Barrett testifying in front of Washington state lawmakers earlier this year. Cam was there to support a bill meant to protect kids from being exploited online by their parents. It's a deeply familiar problem for Cam, whose mother constantly shared intimate details about them on social media, beginning when Cam was like nine years old. At the time, the oversharing included chronicling Cam's first period. The posting continued after that, causing real harm. At 12, I received a DM from a man who I didn't know who saw me riding my bike and told me he followed me home. Cam's experience contracting a MRSA infection in high school and subsequent hospitalizations were also chronicled in detail on social media. But because of her mother's posting about it, um, when she went back to school, no one wanted to sit near her. Even a teacher made her sit at a separate desk. Um, and she, she ultimately did drop out of high school. That's Catherine Lindsay, a freelancer who writes about technology and culture. She recently wrote about young people like Cam for The Atlantic. Growing up through her childhood, I think it just was very normal for her mom to to just share what was going on without without anyone really knowing the way it was going to affect real life. The so-called Facebook generation is reaching adulthood, and they're increasingly horrified at all the stuff their parents have posted about them, often without their knowledge or consent. Some parents share the intimate details of their children's lives. Others try to monetize content. For Cam, the posting kept getting worse. At 15, I was in a car accident in which the fire department had to come with the jaws of life to remove a car door off of my leg. Instead of a hand being offered to hold, a camera was shoved in my face. Cam's testimony in Washington ended with an impassioned plea to lawmakers. Mr. Chairman and ranking members of the committee, I plead you to be the voice for this generation of children because I know firsthand what it's like to not have a choice in which a digital footprint you didn't create follows you around for the rest of your life with no option for it to be removed. So today on the show, the Facebook generation is all grown up and trying to take back their digital identities. Is it too late? I'm Emily Peck, filling in for Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. 
That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Coming soon from Slate Podcasts. So, first it was Dade County. Voters in the Miami area repealed civil rights for gay people by a two-to-one margin. In the late 1970s, cities around the country began rolling back anti-discrimination laws that protected gay people. And then it was Wichita, St. Paul, Eugene. Successful campaigns against the gay community which shocked us all. A state senator from California watched the laws fall and saw an opportunity. Homosexuality is a most repulsive lifestyle. His name was John Briggs, and he wanted to deliver the anti-gay movement its biggest prize yet. California realized that they were coming for us. I'm Christina Cotarucci. This season on Slow Burn, we'll explore how a nationwide backlash against gays and lesbians led to a massive showdown in California. Now it's something called Proposition 6, the Briggs Initiative. It would call for firing any teachers in California who practice homosexuality. Your life as you knew it would be destroyed. We've got to fight back. We can't let this happen in California. The Briggs Initiative would be the first statewide vote on gay rights. With so much at stake, young people became activists. We were all coming out all day long, every day. (laughs) And activists became leaders. My name is Harvey Milk, and I'm here to recruit you. Slow Burn, Season 9, Gays Against Briggs. Out May 22nd, wherever you listen. If we lose here, it'll be 50 years before we ever get back up again. Like the drag queens say, take out the earrings, sharpen the nails. There ain't no going back. Before the advent of social media, embarrassing photos of you as a child were largely hidden away on old-timey physical media, like video cassettes, remember those, or DVDs, or photo albums, all in the privacy of your own home. But when Facebook took hold in the mid-2000s, it made it easy to share your life and your child's life with anyone you wanted to be connected with. This led to parents posting, some would say overposting, about their children. It's a phenomenon that came to be known as sharenting. So it's um, basically using platforms like Facebook, Instagram, and now TikTok um, as your family's photo album. Um, I mean, you know, there, there are layers to it. Like there are people who are just truly just using it because they want to, they want to document. And this is how we document things. Now um, there are obviously more sinister things at play that come into this in terms of likes and engagement and algorithms and where that content goes. There's also the element of some people can monetize this, um, but sharing in general is can range from just just posting your children very candidly in a way that doesn't take into an awareness of the permanence of it. And I think also a big part of it is if your children become kind of content for you to post and you're manipulating situations or capturing things like tantrums or um, being, being really vocal about like potty training or something because you're making content about it and it, and it gets 
gets engagement um, kind of at the expense of that child who's going to be like, you know, I kind of wish my potty training wasn't documented Instagram story by Instagram story. Right. Or you mentioned um, parents sharing stories of when their kids are in puberty or like getting their period for their first time. I can't imagine anything more humiliating than having that be public information as a 13-year-old. When you bring someone else into the world and in your family dynamic, I think your social media is not isolated anymore. Like, you know, if you go to express frustration or worry or whatever about your children, um, it is very likely that you're, that's not like a conversation that's being had among, you know, like even like a parenting group. If you're posting it publicly, your child is then going to become an adult and and see those things. And it's going to, this thing that was not intended for them as an audience, they now kind of carry with them. Um, and it, and so it's like, I understand the motivations of the parents, like totally, but I think all this was happening before children grew up, before we knew sort of tangibly, they're going to see this, they're going to be affected by it. Um, and so now it's kind of causing a sort of larger shift in rethinking of how parents talk about their kids, share their kids on social media, because sort of for the first time we are seeing children speak for themselves and say, this is how this affected me. Did this really start with Facebook, like back in 2007, 2008? So those are the kids now speaking out and they're entering adulthood, basically? Yeah, Facebook. Facebook is the biggest one because I also just think sharing like sharing family photos on Facebook is kind of like what Facebook turned into. <laughs> it's not Instagram and the demographic is is older. Um, and so it's grandparents sharing photos or it is it's it's families sharing you know the news like Facebook is a place for big life events and children are big life events um and I think especially when it was new and shiny in a you know from like probably 2006 2010 time was when the posting kind of first started and so the you know the children of that age not necessarily full infants but you know young enough to still not be um super aware of what was happening are now entering adulthood, entering the workforce, and just are much more literate in the idea of a digital footprint. And and I probably, are, you know, are not only kind of are probably reckoning with their own teenage angsty posting type of stuff that like, I feel like a lot of millennials had to deal with. There's also the stuff they didn't post that they have no ability to go back and delete. Um, and if they wanted to, it would be maybe a bit of an awkward conversation. At the heart of this issue is a generation gap. When Facebook launched, parents didn't understand the ramifications of posting on social media. No one really did. It was wholly new. But kids who grew up online, they get it. They know how important it is to have control over your digital identity. The trouble is convincing parents that oversharing is not okay. That's an intimidating conversation to go to your own parents, especially if you're like 13 and be like, "I, you did something that hurt me. That's probably very difficult to do. So yeah. I would say it's more millennial parents who are, who are newly parents who are now armed with the knowledge that certainly not their parents had about what social media was like, uh, their, their parents never had an adolescence on social media, mm -hmm. but millennials did millennial. Like, I think probably my earliest social media footprint is like MySpace in eighth grade. And I'm like aware that there's, I'm like, so glad that MySpace is like pretty inaccessible at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I, know the feeling of having something online that I didn't want online. And, and so do a lot of other new millennial parents. And so like I, I spoke to a parent who they just decided that that was not going to be something they were doing and posting photos of their children. They posted a few, but they um, 
the face is either obscured by something like an emoji, which is very popular, um, or just is angled in a way where you don't, you don't see the child's face. Um, And so I think it's more on the parents to kind of notice this and start changing. It's a much taller ask to ask children to confront their own parents about this, um, something that the parent could react poorly to. (laughs) How are kids reacting? I've been reading some kids, you know, they hit 11, 12, 13, and then they realize that this has been happening. It's like this huge revelation, almost like learning you were, not like learning you were adopted. You know what I mean? It's just like a whole, there's this whole other thing that's been going on. I had no idea about, um, are they confronting parents? I spoke to for the piece, the CEO of the Family Online Safety Institute, his name's Stephen Balcom, and he categorized that moment right there. And I thought it was very interesting as a digital coming of age, which is Mm. when you reach the age to have the awareness that all this stuff exists. And it's like, I've talked about it and I've written about it. And I still, it's something I cannot conceptualize what it would feel like because like, because we just don't have any equivalent because I'm lucky enough that I was in, I've always been anything bad of me that was put on social media was put there by me, um, not my parents. So <laughs> it's a whole other episode probably. Yeah. Um, so in, in this conversation with Steven, he was talking about that this realization I think comes about because of what we were speaking about earlier is that they'll, they'll realize it's accessible by other people because it'll be like accessed by their classmates. Um, or they'll, they'll just start to see that other people can, can find these images of them. And then it starts getting pieced together that that is all there. They had no part in it. And, um, unless they feel comfortable sitting down with their parents, they have no part in deleting it. And something that he advocated for was just parents making that be an open line of communication. Like it's, I think like, you know, if you want to post pictures of your children on social media, which I don't think is a blanket bad thing, you just need to also be open to make sure the child feels um, that there is space for them to, if the thought occurs to them that they don't want the photo up there anymore, they should feel comfortable coming to you about that. Um, so like, like as, 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 as much as there are tears for the types of sharing, there's also sort of <laughs> tears for ways of being thoughtful about it. Um, and I think I don't want anyone to take away that the answer is you can't post anything um, mm-hmm. because I get that there is an inherent joy in sharing these things. And and um, something that is one of my favorite quotes from the piece is from Sarah Peterson, who's an author of a book called Momfluence, that she was saying that parents, especially mothers um, in the US, there's no, they don't get bonuses or raises. They don't really get any reward for their hard work. The only Thing they have as proof of their hard work is the child and social media is a place where you can put proof of that hard work online and get that external reward you can get people saying oh so cute or like like give, even just giving it a like getting that approval of what you're doing as a mother as a parent that is like such a valid draw and yeah. we don't have a system other than that in place to get that same type of appreciation for their work and so I totally understand why you would want to put something on social media you want to participate in a culture that is doing this because everyone's doing it. And so you're going to feel very isolated if you suddenly cut that part of your life off. And so it's it's definitely not an easy choice to make. Yeah. And you even, I believe, had an example in your story of a woman in LA who who doesn't want to share her, you know, images of her kids on social media and, and people are like giving her you know, guff for it, basically. It's such a weird thing. Like when we talk about how everyone's doing it, it because it's like, not only do you feel this pressure, I think, t- to do it, like that's not made up because she was talking about how when, you know, it, 
she's had to sort of talk about this boundary with other people. And one of the weirdest things she said happened was that someone who she was talking to about it kind of asked her why she had never posted her child on social media in a way that insinuated that there was there something wrong with her child. And so she was keeping her child like secret. Like there was, (laughs) that was the first thing they thought of versus just there being a boundary. Um, There is a real sense of entitlement to other people's children in a way that I don't super understand. And I more so understand it, which is something that I, I know Christina and I spoke about. I don't think it fully made it into the piece, but just of her own parents um, want to post her because that's their grandchild. And they're on Facebook with other grandparents who are sharing their grandchildren and they want to be able to share their own. And why can't they, you and your partner and your child, you know, can all make the collective decision about what you want to do with social media, but you're not the only ones with phones. There's, it's not in a vacuum. Like everyone else has a phone. Parents have expectations. People have expectations. It's, it's not an easy decision to make. When we come back, if you thought Facebook was bad, just wait for TikTok. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The rise of platforms like TikTok are making the sharenting problem worse. With Facebook, you created a network of friends, family, whoever, that guy you worked with 10 years ago, and you shared your life with just them. But now we have algorithms that are designed to get your content in front of as many eyes as possible. And a temper tantrum caught on video can reach audiences far and wide, often to sharp criticism. So TikTok honestly was the reason I first started wanting to write this because this is not a new conversation. This conversation has been about children and social media has been happening for a while. But one of the things mm-hmm. that really struck me about TikTok that is different from all their social media is because it, it all comes down to audience and and who you're showing your content to. Um, and on Instagram, even if you're public, you're pretty much showing up in the feeds of the people who follow you. On TikTok, mm-hmm. that is not just the case. TikTok, no matter how many followers you have, you have, you can have zero. TikTok will shoot your video in front of millions of people if it triggers the algorithm in that way. And so now that, you know, especially Instagram has moved into being more discovery based, now the move for social media is not connecting one-on-one with other people. It is you being a billboard in front of strangers and how many strangers will Instagram put your billboard in front of. And so when that's a child, that becomes a lot more dangerous. Um, So TikTok, I honestly personally don't know if there's any contained way to post on that app. Um, it, it It's such a luck of the draw. And I think the risks far outweigh the rewards of documentation. <laughs> yeah. One thing I was thinking about when you were talking about why, why parents do this and like you want to 
fit in with the other parents. Everybody's doing it. You want to, you want to like show off your, your kid and show off your parenting. And I was thinking about how, like when, when you have like a baby and when the kids are little, they're just like part of your identity. So you're posting about them the way you would post about yourself, not really thinking like, this is a separate person. How would they feel if I, how would you like this tantrum of the four-year-olds? That's their worst day. Of their right, life. Right, right. <laughs> How would yeah. you feel if someone posts your worst day of your life on social media for a lot of, of people to see? And then it seems like this digital coming of age is that disconnect when like this, the kid's finally asserting himself or herself as like this separate person. And that's like where it's happening. Yeah, no, that's such a good point because also during like early motherhood, that is your identity for that time because it is yeah. like all consuming work. And there's really, it would be difficult to separate yourself from it on social media if you wanted to continue to post normally. Yeah. Motherhood in itself is such uh such an identity and social media is really like really about identity too. And so when those come together, I think it's like two very fraught um things, which then in the case of this ends up sort of potentially hurting another small person who will become a large person. There is legislation in a couple of states aimed at protecting kids from being monetized by their parents online. But if the content isn't making money, there's little to protect the intimate details of kids' lives. The closest thing that exists is not applicable in the United States, but it's in, in places like Europe is called the right to be forgotten. Um, and it is, it's not a privacy law. It's a law about specifically information that was public that you'd like to not be public anymore. But it's it's not in the United States at all, let alone like anything focused on children. And for when when it comes to like the basics, um, the platforms like Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, um, Facebook, they they all ha- they do have set rules. You know, theoretically, you're supposed to you can only sign up if you are 13 um, on Instagram. If a child has an account that's being like run by a parent, which is a, a thing. Um, yeah. The parent, it has to be stated in the bio really clearly that is run by a parent and who the parent is. Things like outright, you know, violence, nudity, is the child nudity. Um, the, the real like black and white issues are against the rules. But the stuff that's more gray area, like someone throwing a tantrum, someone just talking about potty training, someone like a early video of me, I'm like smearing food all over myself. Like that doesn't violate any rules. And, mm-hmm. um, and we don't know, it's not also not like guaranteed harmful. Like maybe no one will find it or maybe the child will grow up and think it's funny, but we just don't, don't know. So right now it really just comes down to like parents being able to resist the, to, to just think broader than just the post. It strikes me as so interesting. Um, we've done some shows and there's been tons of coverage of lawmakers who are now so concerned about protecting children from social media, right? Keeping them off social media, banning TikTok. Meanwhile, who is protecting us from the parents? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who is protecting the children from the parents on social media? Um, it doesn't seem like this is going to be a, jo- a job that lawmakers will tackle. Right, because I mean that the Surgeon General just came out about all the mental health links. And mm-hmm. I think a, a, a huge one is about identity and like, you know, it, we, it very broadly talks about things like depression and anxiety, but it's like, what are those things about? Like, and I, and I think identity and because social media is now for, you know, teens, it is going to be kind of like the main platform of life. <laughs> like I, I, we've been growing up kind of with it being more and more juggled. And now, especially with the pandemic, like that is what life is now and how you appear on social media 
for all intents and purposes is how you are when it comes to like your professional life and just like how you're seen by other people, they're probably first and foremost going to see you online before they ever see you in person. Um, And so that creates a lot of anxiety. And then, you know, you can get all these other things like, is the identity created by the parent one that the child still identifies with in terms of like, even like gender or, um, or just in terms of how they present themselves? Um, Does it match how they actually feel as an adult? Um, And do they, have the power to change it in some cases, maybe not at all. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I wanted to ask you about that. It's like if if a child has had their lives posted about on social media and their identity has already been created for them, do they have no identity when they finally show up on social media or do they feel like disconnected from their identity? How does that I know. Work? Well, so it's funny. I actually wrote a piece for the New York Times. It's like adjacent to this about parents who are basically creating accounts, social media accounts for their children um, when right when they're born so they can lock down the handles. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and similarly, it varies, but in many cases, it is on, with the sort of hope that they will hand it off to that child when they come of age, whatever that age <laughs> is. Um, and so that child has like a huge digital footprint, but like, like you're saying, like, are they inheriting an identity that they're comfortable with? Um, or even honestly, I'm like, this is the first time I'm thinking about it. Even if the parent wipes it all, it seems almost just as kind of like overwhelming to get a blank slate and have to immediately yeah. define yourself then and there. I mean, that is like a wider effect of social media on identity. But um, either way, I think it doesn't help to have all of these sort of digital artifacts so so closely tied to you, ones that you had no control over. I feel like the way we're talking about it we're saying this is, you know, harmful and invasion of privacy. But I mean, if you pull back a little, maybe it is kind of harmless. I mean, it's just like, I mean, I know it's embarrassing to have the picture of you with the cake smeared on your face now, but like probably in 20 years, you'd be like, oh, I was such a cute kid or, you know, um, maybe it's just the, the, it's just a problem of parents not being concerned about their kids' privacy. But then again, it's 2023. Does anyone have privacy anymore? Right. Yeah, I know. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, if you're posting just sort of regular photos, family photos, like if you're not doing any sort of the more act like actively harmful children as content stuff, it's like, I would say more than likely going to be fine. Um, I think it's also a little bit more an awareness that we just don't, we don't know how social media is going to change. Like when these first parents were posting, they had no idea that any of this stuff they were posting lasted beyond kind of the 10 minutes when it was posted and they got all the feedback. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's only now that we know, okay, Facebook's still around, Instagram's still around and these things show up in Google searches. And so that was something that uh, the parent in LA, Christina and I talked about was that like, 10 years ago, she had no conception of what social media was going to be like now. And so there's no way she can can have any idea of what it's going to be 10 years from now. And so like with that in mind, she's kind of just better safe than sorry. Um, and so I think it's just how much risk are you willing to um, accept? And I think what's most important rather than kind of doing this guessing game that's going to be like impossible to know what the right answer was until it's too late. It's just make keeping that dialogue open with your own child about what it is they're comfortable with in that moment. And just so you can know that you always were responsive to their wishes um, and that it was something that they felt comfortable coming to you about because now we are kind of juggling 
two different identities. And when you're raising a child, you're going to be juggling both them offline and online too, which is really weird to think about. But I think the more open the conversation is, the less the less anyone should worry that there's going to be some looming consequence that comes out of nowhere. Catherine, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Catherine Lindsay is a freelance writer covering technology and culture. She also writes the newsletter Embedded. And that's it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell and Patrick Fort. Our show is edited by Mia Armstrong-Lopez. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. If you're a fan of the show, I have a request for you. Become a Slate Plus member. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. We'll be back next week with more episodes. I'm Emily Peck, filling in for Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening. Coming soon from Slate Podcasts. So, first it was Dade County. Voters in the Miami area repealed civil rights for gay people by a two-to-one margin. In the late 1970s, cities around the country began rolling back anti-discrimination laws that protected gay people. And then it was Wichita, St. Paul, Eugene. Successful campaigns against the gay community, which shocked us all. A state senator from California watched the laws fall and saw an opportunity. Homosexuality is a most repulsive lifestyle. His name was John Briggs, and he wanted to deliver the anti-gay movement its biggest prize yet. California realized that they were coming for us. I'm Christina Cotarucci. This season on Slow Burn, we'll explore how a nationwide backlash against gays and lesbians led to a massive showdown in California. Now it's something called Proposition 6, the Briggs Initiative. It would call for firing any teachers in California who practice homosexuality. Your life as you knew it would be destroyed. We've got to fight back. We can't let this happen in California. The Briggs Initiative would be the first statewide vote on gay rights. With so much at stake, young people became activists. We were all coming out all day long, every day. (laughs) And activists became leaders. My name is Harvey Milk, and I'm here to recruit you. Slow Burn, Season 9, Gays Against Briggs. Out May 22nd, wherever you listen. If we lose here, it'll be 50 years before we ever get back up again. Like the drag queens say, take out the earrings, sharpen the nails. There ain't no going back.